0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here.
1: Hey, Glenn. Yes, I figured out why Jason has a
2: website. Why is that? It's not exactly the easiest bloke to talk to. Well, let's try that. Hello. Can I speak to uh, Jason Buffed Furman, please?
3: Uh, what are you doing, you? <laughs> Well,
1: you heard it here, folks. That's the kind of treatment you'll get if you actually (laughs) dial Jason from Einswick Dog Quip. So what you need to do if you want any leashes, tugs, harnesses, balls, reward toys, canine fitness and conditioning equipment, Herm Springer things, anything like that, head to AinswickDogQuip.com. That's E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com because you do not want to have to talk to this guy.
2: (laughs) Glenn, what are you doing? I'm enjoying a delicious treat from Bright's Bites. The dog
1: training treats? The same. I've heard that Bright's Bites are not just healthy
2: and nutritious for dogs, but they're so delicious, they're actually a very motivational form of training. They are indeed. We've tested and tried them on site and they work just great. How did you get a hold of those? Did you purchase them off of a website? I went to... Dog squad
1: canineservices.com.au That's where people should go to get themselves some bright Bites, healthy, nutritious, but also highly motivational dog training treats. Get them in your dog, y'all. Yo. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And special treat we have back in the studio for, I don't know, maybe the 10th time, Birdie. Hi.
0: Hello, everybody. I wanted to say good morning.
2: But- <laughs> well, it's our morning. Yeah, yeah, it's our morning. Hello,
0: everybody. We can
2: say what we want.
0: Thank How you many times having- is
2: this that you're on?
0: Oh.
2: Half a dozen, I think. Yeah. yeah. Something like yeah. that. Not Welcome enough, back. according to our listeners.
0: I love being on here and- I should maybe tell you this. I have big change ahead. So from next year on, I will be no longer a psychologist with a practice. I'm only going to do dog stuff. So I will have more time for the dog industry. That's That's pretty cool.
1: That's exciting. Mm. Thank you. And can you tell us about what you're actually going to be doing?
0: So after the ICP conference, which was super cool, like I really loved it, I got a lot of feedback that people are interested in burnout, Mm -hmm. and burnout prevention and resilience. So I think I'm going to do a lot around that. Mm-hmm. A lot of online tools and workshops and
1: yep. Cool. So watch this space, everybody. Mm. Yes, or follow well, my
0: page or go on Facebook and like my page.
1: Mm-hmm. Tell us about your page.
0: Um, pause in life on Facebook and or- it's P A W S. Yes,
2: pause in life.
0: Dog pause.
2: Yeah. Are you still going to keep pause in life as P A U S E? Yeah,
0: but it will be a bit dormant for a while. Mm-hmm. Just so I like options in life
2: because that's yep. the human practice, yes, right? Yes, the
0: human practice, and also we're moving, so who knows? Maybe I get bored again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. So pause in life, everybody, go check it out. Speaking of pages, before we get going, we have something that we are contractually obligated to to do, Mister Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> so Dylan Anderson of Get Barked
2: actually got a canine paradigm tattoo. Yeah, that was amazing, wasn't it? We put the call out and sort of goaded people into it and he goes, "Yeah, fuck yeah, I'm I'm doing it." Yeah, yeah. And next minute, he yeah. goes off and gets one done right in his shin. It yeah. looks amazing, too. It looks, it's it does an awesome look really tattoo. Yeah. yeah. It does look cool. All
1: right, so now I want to tell you all about Get Barked.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go and get barked
1: from their website. At Get Barked, we offer a wide range of pet services from dog walking, pet photography, and pet taxi. We have a large selection of options available to suit everybody's needs. Our dog walkers are fully insured and have a police
2: clearance. Wow.
1: Yeah, so I guess they won't steal your stuff
2: when they come in. No, they won't nick off the road into a van with your dog like (laughs) Peter do. It seems as though he...
1: (laughs) 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 He seems to sell uh, food on this website, accessories, bowls, toys, clothing... There's everything you could probably want in the dog industry. Mm. If you haven't already got it from Jason, head over to Get Barked. Yeah. These guys are in Perth in Western Australia. And asked to see our logo on his shin. Yeah, that's mm. right. It's yeah. getbarked.net.au. Dylan Anderson. Congratulations. Good uh, on you, Dylan. Well done, mate. Yep. Thanks for supporting the cause. I love a tattoo on a whim. Yep. I, I've got a few of my own. Yeah,
2: you yeah. have. That's how we met. That's how I talked to you the
0: first time because I was sitting beside you at a workshop. I'm like, so mate, what's all of this mess about? <laughs> yeah.
2: It looks like a two-year-old has tattooed you. Uh, but it's very I, I laughed the other day at your workshop how someone said, did Jane do those tattoos? Yeah. Like just and I'm thinking, does that look like a Jane Stewart yeah, tattoo? Yeah. Like maybe yeah. if she was drunk and on acid or something like that. I think that. a lot
1: of people probably haven't seen them. I should post the, a photo <laughs> of them. They're, but it's funny because these are, they look terrible, but they're the only Padus I have that have like a real meaning to me. They're, mm. sig- they're important to me.
0: Yeah. I regretted asking that question because I'm like, oh, that's actually really beautiful and meaningful. I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I get some stick. I remember one time being in a, a client's house, they were like, you know, very wealthy people in a very nice house. And we're talking about how it's going to be coming and going to train the dog. And they're giving me keys to the house and uh, at the time I'd been doing a lot of bite work and I had these, you know, scabs all over the insides of my arm. Yep. And I see this guy, I'm sitting on his couch and he looks at me and he sees what looks like track marks on my arm. And then he looks down and sees the horrible stick men tattoos on my legs. And I was like, <laughs> I could see it ticking over his head. And I said, we should probably address some. <laughs> <laughs> profiling. Yeah. I'm not a junkie, but you know, please still give me the keys to your house and trust me with your dog. But you know who you can trust with your dog? Dylan, Dylan Anderson's Anderson. walkers who have police checks. That's right. They might he might have some crazy ass tattoos, but he's got a police check he's saying he's a, a good check, guy. So Get he's, barked, yeah. That's it. All right, that's okay. enough. Carry on. So what are we talking about
2: today, Birdie?
0: Um, we're going to talk about patience.
2: Okay, cool. Not like patients as in in inpatients?
0: Yes, not as in patients in the hospital. I thought
2: you were going to to tell us a bunch of stories. Let let me tell you about this patient. Now that I'm not in the industry anymore, fuck confidentiality. (laughs)
0: Oh, my God. I think that would be my worst nightmare, no.
2: And everybody else's too. Yes. (laughs)
1: Definitely. We can go through the Facebook page and pick some names. Do you know this person? Tell us what you know about them. Fuck put confidentiality.
2: Can
0: you please stop putting ideas into people's <laughs> mind about
2: i about? Let me tell you about a chronic masturbator called Pat. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Shh! <Shit. laughs> dare you, sir. <laughs> Sorry, sir. <laughs> All right, carry All
0: right. on. You know, I'm lost a little bit. But the reason why I picked this topic is because I think most people would become much better dog trainers or dog owners if they wouldn't know when they're... Struggling with patients. Mm-hmm. Like, we just had the great opportunity to attend um, Pat's seminar on the weekend, and, and we talked a lot about consistency in markers and, you mm-hmm. know, how the human has such a big impact on assessing the situation. And I sat there and I'm like, oh man, but if a person actually doesn't assess their own stress levels or their patients, they can really make quite big mistakes. And mm-hmm. I think you brought up a couple of examples how people were just amping up a lot in their training and actually harmed their dog in the long run because they didn't have themselves in check. Mm. So, And I also know that with my dog Luna, a lot of buttons got pushed during training that for me are trigger buttons to lose my patience Mm. and therefore I sometimes wasn't the best dog owner in that situation and I didn't make good judgment calls in my training. Mm. So I just thought that might be an interesting topic and also it's before Christmas, people are really stressed at the moment so I'm like, maybe we should talk about it.
2: Yeah yeah like it's a, it. it's a good topic. I've most likely mentioned it before, but since I've been training with BJJ, my coach Marcos, he constantly walks around the room telling all the white belts to be patient all the time, but the high belts as well. like it's one of the issues that most of us have there is that we get there and we get so frustrated that you don't know anything and you're lying on the ground and you're you're just trying to do ridiculous things and you become very frustrated, you become agitated. And you start doing like unhelpful things to your, your practice. Like when he shows your foundation skill, you don't do it anymore because you're just working on trying to get this person off you and trying to win the round. And I mean, there's there's nothing at stake. There's no, you know, there's no award. There's no ribbon. There's no trophy or anything like that. It's just you and and the person you're rolling with. And when he see, like, and you're basically blowing your, your lungs out while you're doing it. So you've got no energy, completely fatigued. And every now and then you can feel him come over and tap you with his foot. And he'll just say, hey, patient, be patient. You know, you got to have patience. And he keeps saying it as a mantra as he's walking around the room. Patience. I hear him all the time. I actually love it. It, it sets me back in a nice cathartic mood when I f- mm. hear him saying it. And then you start thinking, okay, I do. I have to I have to breathe now. I have to think about this a little bit more. And then you start realizing now I've got options now that I'm starting to be patient. So, yeah,
1: it's, it's a good thing. Do you know, Bertie, the old bull, young bull story? Not gr- having grown up in English speaking. I wonder if that made it to Austria.
0: I only know Ferdinand de Bull. Yeah. No, so this is
1: better. The, there's a story of patience and um, <laughs> uh, it gets around a bit, but it, one of my really good friends when I was in the army, he was a, an exceptional sort of soldier and became a, a team commander very early and he had a much older, way more experienced 2IC. And so um, it was a really good match because they were really good together. So he was really, he was in charge, but his, his second in command was way more experienced than him. And he used to always call, they used to call each other the bull, both of them. And he was the young bull and the other guy was the old bull, right? Because the story is (laughs) there's these two bulls standing on top of a hill, right? And the young bull and the old bull. And the young bull looks to the old bull and they're looking out over the field of all the cows. The young bull looks to the old bull and says, you know what we should do? we should run down there and fuck one of those cows. <laughs> and the young, the old bull looks at him and he says, we could do that or we could walk down there and fuck them all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And it's a story of patience
1: my mate was the young bull and he was always like, let's go do this, let's go do this. And the, the old bull would be like, we'll do all that, mm. but we'll wait until the time is right and we'll do it carefully.
0: Yes, because I think patience is often associated with, with wisdom, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you, you it brings out a really wise side in you. And I think it's also something that society at the moment doesn't appreciate so much because I do believe that patience in the end is a combination of skills. It's not just one skill. It's like, for example, delayed gratification, impulse control, all these kind of things bring you to the peak of patience if you're good at it.
3: Mm.
0: But to me, actually, I had to look up in the dictionary in the Cambridge Dictionary what patience means because I was a bit lost because there are so many ideas what patience really is. Do you want to hear the definition? Yes, please. All right. So patience is the ability to wait or to continue doing something despite difficulties, or to suffer without complaining or becoming annoyed. Mm. So it's, you're actually in discomfort when you have to be patient. It's not a state where you feel great about it. Okay. So for me, that was quite a turning point when I realized, hey, to be patient doesn't mean you feel great. Mm. To be patient is needed when you're actually maybe a tad uncomfortable, mm-hmm. or when you're restless, or when you want to do something. And I think that's really important to acknowledge, that patience means that you can handle discomfort.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you read that again?
0: Yep. Patience is the ability to wait or to continue doing something despite difficulties or to suffer without complaining or becoming annoyed. Mm. I'm great at vinging, but that's not patience apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think it's it's that stoic attitude to what's okay I can write this out and I'm quite accepting of the discomfort, but I don't amp it up. Mm -hmm. I maybe keep myself in check or maybe control my emotions. I can accept them. I can acknowledge them, but I don't make it worse. I Mm -hmm. maybe don't verbalize it. I don't maybe share it with other people or reflect on it. Because I think very often when we are impatient, we project to other people or we steer other people up. You know, like when I'm impatient, very often my husband, Dan, gets the brunt of it. Mm -hmm. And I think in dog training, very often the dog cops it.
2: More often than not. Yeah. That's most common. And I think that anybody who's owned a dog would have experienced that on more than one occasion where you're trying to do something with the dog. You have expectations that the dog understands what you want, where it completely doesn't. You know, there's absolute no recognition of what you're trying to do. But you're suggesting that the dog is somewhat anthropomorphize what you're trying to do and this is the problem with anthropomorphism is that and that creates most of the impatience that people have is that they think well you should get me because you learned how to do this like you learned skill a why don't you pick up skill b and the dog is clearly lacking understanding of it in any way that you're trying to get it across so the problem being is that then you'll say okay well I've taught you this, you should know this, and then people start laying into the dog over it. And it's a, it's a common problem around the world.
0: It is, and I um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but a while back I tried to do an online challenge where people work on their dog's impulse control and they learn to control their own reactions. And it was a big flop. No one was interested because it doesn't <laughs> feel great. It doesn't make you feel good. Yeah. But with our dog, we demand to work on this downstay or whatever. But when I'm like, you have to sit on that pillow preferably learning to not buy into your thoughts and watch your breathing. Mm. They're like, I don't like it. And I'm like, well, you make your dog do it all the time and you have very high criteria. Mm -hmm. You know, like the dog gets so many distractions thrown around and he just has to watch and he's not allowed to react. But if I would put a mosquito in the room with you, you would be distracted. Mm -hmm. So I think it's quite interesting that we have quite a high expectation of our dogs that they, I don't know if impulse control is patience, but it looks similar to me. Yeah, I uh, think I so. Do you think so?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, in PSA, dogs have to be extremely patient despite genetically maybe not liking it very much. Yeah. So I think it's it's quite impressive. Um, and I also think PSA brings out a lot of patience in the dog owner if they want to be really successful because they have to ace the basics.
1: Yeah, well, as soon as you're explaining the definition of patience, that's why I asked you to go again on it. It, it's kind of a theme at the moment in my life and in the training and everything I'm teaching is trying to get people as into fundamentals as I am. And that's where people's patience gets tested when mm-hmm. when, mm. when they want to the, hear, hear the last 5% of what I have to say and they don't realize that the last 5% is the first 5%. It's the same thing. It's like the fundamentals, the basics, getting that perfect, absolutely perfect so that the other stuff is really easy. And that's what I have a very hard time trying to explain to people to have the patience to develop the fundamentals and not just rush and try and teach the more advanced concepts to your dog in isolation
3: mm-hmm.
1: is let the advanced concepts be a step from the basic concepts, mm. right? So you've got to develop all the basics, the absolute foundation exercises and then go forward to it. And at the moment, I'm a, I feel like I'm a little bit of a one-trick pony, like that's all I'm talking about it. But I feel like it's, it's, I'm just noticing it being more and more important.
0: But I think there is this expectation why you do certain things. So, for instance, if you have the expectation that dog training is there to be a hobby that's always fun, you're going to skip those skills of mastery because you go like, well, teaching myself patience is not fun. Mm Mm-hmm. And very often there is, you know, when we show signs of impatience, there's signs of our ego being triggered or our expectations that this is supposed to be a joyful activity. Mm-hmm. Like when I got a dog, I thought my dog's going to bring a lot of joy to my life, which he has, but there are also moments where you are not enjoying this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, like I, I think that, and I'm very honest about this, and I know my dog didn't enjoy me a lot of the time either because we had to learn to be a team. And for us, it's the basics very often. And I'm a type of person, I can be quite impatient. I'm Mm. naturally impatient. That's why I have to put so much effort into meditating and all of that because in my job, I need to be Mm non-reactive. If my stress levels go up, I will be reactive, which is not indicative of being a good therapist. Mm -hmm. So I have to really learn just to watch what's happening around me and just be still and then really go into my wisdom part where I know what type of action is needed. Not my first knee-jerk reaction, but a really good reaction. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to know that the reason why you should practice your personal impulse control is so that you can apply a decision or a behavior based on wisdom, Mm -hmm. not just on reaction. They're very different things. Mm. Because only wisdom will tell you when you actually shouldn't be patient like you know when the black wolf needs to come out mm-hmm. but you need to have to be taken a step back to know like is my ego just barking up is it my previous past is it a story i tell myself why do i do this and only if you have the control and the ability to decide and analyze you can help yourself better
2: it's a lot of combination of virtues isn't it
0: yeah it, i think it's it's quite a um a difficult skill because it's so big
2: mm. it's interesting talking about this I was teaching Ladybug a skill a while ago. And I was sitting in the office doing it, and it, this was over, you know, days, weeks, and months of doing it. And I Narelle, saw you. yeah, and Narelle was watching me doing it, and she was saying, "Why don't you know?" Like she said, "This is really frustrating to watch. Why don't you just do this, and why don't you just do that?" And I said, "I could, but I'd rather her learn it long term than me just cheat through the experience." I wanted to actually understand how to do it herself. And I said, and therefore I have to be patient and I have to just wait it out for her to do it. And I said, she'll do it. And I said, yeah, I agree. It's very frustrating to watch. And I said, the 20 year old me wouldn't have suffered through this. And I said, but the, you know, the 40 year old me will sit there and say, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to wait this out. And it was, it was as much learning for me as it was the dog. And that was the important part of it is that I needed something to occupy my time and meditate on and think about things a little bit more systematically so yeah i could have cheated my way through it but i think the punchline is is only funny when you understand the rest of the joke so that's kind of what i was looking at doing is you know pat touched on that before is you're trying to race to the end you know if you hear the punchline and you don't understand the rest of the joke it's never been explained to you it's not funny you know you don't you don't really get what people are all laughing at or what what the- that's
0: me telling a joke. My family teases me. I always go to the punchline and head.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's the, the, the experience of the joke is telling the whole story and yeah. then getting to the punchline. Then it makes sense and that's where you get your enjoyment of it from. And that's the same thing when I watch people do skills building with their dog is that they they understand the story from the start to the finish, you know, like they they play that middle part out as as well that really does drag and it drops in the middle from time to time. There's plenty of times where I've been watching people training their dogs. It doesn't matter who they are, you know, whether they've been doing Napo Po or NDTF or whatever it is, I always remind them, if you're having a bad day and this isn't going well for you, it's a stop. You know, take the dog away, put the dog outside, go and have a glass of wine or a beer or Meditate or go for a walk. Come back to it later, where you're clear in your head and you're feeling better about the situation. Because trying to battle through that, the dog will lose that battle. You know, like you'll win, the dog will lose, and that's not the idea of it. This is a this is a team game, not a one outdoes the other.
0: Yeah, and I think that's very often the consequence of being impatient is that your relationship takes a toll. Yes, right. I think that's very often the case, and it just I just wonder if that story of the old and the young bull can be applied to one person. You know that you have. Um, in the past, you maybe had a young bull, but now you've matured, and now you have an old bull, especially in similar situations. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I just, I just think that patience is something that we really have to look at in regards to our dogs, because I think you can only truly unlock your potential with your dog if you also know your own signs when you're impatient. Yeah, because I think nothing good comes from it.
1: Can before we go on with that, can I just give a practical example of what you were saying? Then, so mm. uh, I was thinking of it. Cause I know the behavior you're talking about ladybug, but with my own dogs, I wanted to teach them to balance on a Bozu ball, like two different balls, front legs, back legs. Right. And I decided with one, I was going to do it slow and properly. And the other, I was just doing it from a fitness perspective. Right. So I just want you on there. So in one session, I can get that dog on the Bozu balls and she gets the benefit of the balancing. yeah, Right. But in order for her to get on there, the conditions have to be exactly the same. Yep. Right. They have to be like she understands it only. She understands it as an isolated behavior in that one context mm. to do one thing. With Remy, I just like free shaped it, and it took you know uh, two weeks probably to get him doing exactly. It takes the, the time it takes. Yeah, time it took takes time. Maybe two weeks to get him doing the exact same behavior that I had Valerie doing in literally in a minute because yep. I just lured her straight onto it. But the end result is. When I tell him to get on the Bozu ball, he'll find the Bozu ball, even if it's hidden in the garage and pull it out and get on it. For her, they have to be in the exact same spot. Yep. I have to, like the conditions have to be perfect because yep. it's an isolated behavior. It wasn't about patience for me. It was an experiment, but it's a, an example of it. If you'd want to just rush and show no patience and just get it done, you th- it can feel like you get to the end. Yep. But you're not really. No, they don't understand it the way you want it understood. You're in a very isolated position. Yeah. And I like my especially again, this relates to everything I'm doing at the moment and the Patreon episode that we just put out on that that roadmap is that what I want is for my dog to understand. If I ask my dog to do something and he genuinely is confused. I want him to have kind of a a roadmap or like breadcrumbs back to how he got there. So it's like, okay, I don't know exactly what you want, but here's something approximating what you want. And it's oftentimes is close enough, but there has to be those steps involved, the patience to teach it that way rather than just getting it done in
2: isolation. Yeah. They understood the link in the chain. Yeah. So they understand, they have a intimate knowledge of how those links form the chain. Yeah. And it's, I think for us having the patience
1: to to bother with the foundation so that you 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 have it something to fall back on if if the finished product goes bad. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, this just reminds me of one of my favorite sayings by um a great teacher his name is John Kabat-Zinn, he's one of the most influential people in mindfulness. And mindfulness essentially is learn not to react, learn to observe and not react. And he says that patience is a form of wisdom it demonstrates that we understand and accept the fact that sometimes things must unfold in their own time.
3: Mm.
0: So it's very Mm anti-ego. It's very much, you have to surrender to a degree here and you just have to commit to the process.
2: Yeah, you have to fight yourself. There's a lot of times it's it's a very much an internal battle to hold back and not act on that impulse, as you were saying before. I mean, I've found it many times, not just in... or dog training, but just in personal life, like you can feel yourself like wanting to surge your head and, you know, using your old bull, young bull influences. Like if you look at that yourself, you kind of think to yourself, well, this could be somewhat destructive if I act on the way I want to feel now, whereas if I sit back and I'm a little bit more analytical, I can survey it a little bit better and get a little bit more insight. Like I can use peripheral vision rather than just binocular vision and see the whole thing rather than just Mm -hmm one aspect of it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also very often when you are stressed and you lose your patience, all of a sudden this time component is much stronger and intense than it actually needs to be. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, there's some attribution in your mind that goes like, this is really fucking important right now. The consequences are so bad. But most of the time they're not.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You, you benefit from stepping away most of the time. Yep. But I think there is a lot, in, especially with dog training, And the reason why I was very impatient in the past is I think there was a lot of what do others think about me if I don't achieve this, this quickly or, you know, Mm -hmm. how we had an NDTF to saying, um, not one more time.
2: No more, one more time. Yeah.
0: And I think that is so against ego because you're just hitting that, you know, the time when it went really well and you go like, oh. I want to do it again, but no, that's impatient. In that moment, you know you have a better outcome leaving it at that very often.
2: Yeah. I think that was one of the – the reason it stayed with me so long, it's one of the best things that we ever used to chant as the mantra because so many dogs got fucked up because of that one more time. And that you know, that's just lack of patience. It's because people – and I get it. Because, I mean, geez, I've done this myself and at the mercy of the dog as well. And this is where you just think to yourself, the behavior was so good. If I only just do it one more time, and then if you're lucky enough to stretch it out one more time, you think, oh, I've just done it one more time, maybe one more time. But the problem is, is that you keep doing it one more time until you break the back of it. Do you know why I think that is? Why is that? It's dopamine jackpot.
1: So, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So. When you're on a consistent reward schedule, you like talk about Sapolsky experiment, the light, the you work- You need your drug. Yeah. The yeah. light, the work, the reinforcer, the, yep. the dopamine comes at asking at the light, right? Yeah. Now, if we superimpose that over, the the light is you giving the dog the command, like yep. ask you having the decision, I'm going to put the dog through the behavior. The dog does it, your reinforcer is the dog completing the behavior successfully. Not And so- then your dopamine spike comes every time you ask the dog to perform the behavior. Makes sense. So then what happens is when you, when people go for the one more time, it's never a problem of one more time when the dog does it. Great. That's mm. fine. But what happens is inevitably you ask the dog to do something one more time. He doesn't do it. But what do we know from dopamine jackpot is goes higher because you, well, you were not reinforced. You're into an intermittent reinforcement schedule, which means next time you ask the dog to do something, your dopamine will be doubled because it didn't work last time. You didn't get the reinforcer of the dog completing the behavior. Mm. And so you then as the trainer have put yourself onto an intermittent reinforcement schedule and the reinforcement is whether the dog will do it or not. And that's why people get caught in the loop of chasing the one more time, one more time, one more time, trying to get the dog to do it. And, and when the dog does it, they're satiated and they, they stop. Mm. Right. But it's the, the less frequently the dog performs, you know, maybe I'm drawing a long bow on this, but I don't think so. Cause it's observable. Right. You yeah, see it people, sounds, it sounds tangible when everything's going good. They're like, yeah, yeah, this is good. This is good. And then when it's going bad, that's when they start obsessively doing it the same mm. way that like the, you know, the dopamine jackpot studies about gambling. And so that's what's happening with the person. They're gambling as to whether their dog's going to perform the behavior or not. And they go over and over and over and above. And it's that, I think, and this is why I get so obsessed with when I'm teaching, understanding the foundation principles of it. Because if you understand dopamine jackpot and the variable uh, reinforcement schedule, it's fine to understand that in relation to how you control it on the dog But then you have to be able to take a step away from it and go, fuck, I'm doing it to myself. Like, Mm. this is why I'm performing these. This is why I'm chasing it. The reason I am obsessively putting the dog through this behavior, even though I know it's not going to fucking work, Mm. right, even though I know there's very little chance of it coming off, is because, not because I'm trying to get it done, because I'm chasing the dopamine of asking for it and the possibility of it getting done.
2: And then being comfortable with your own internal quitting signal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and Because
0: the dog is such an extension of yourself. I think that's when discipline comes in, right? And I think that's with patients, very often discipline is the thing where you have to go like, oh, it's not about what feels good right now. It's just, do I have enough capacity to step away and go like, what needs to be done?
1: Mm-hmm. And that is, what did you call it one time with Sapolsky in his book explains like where your, all your urges and desires push you towards one thing, but you have the capacity to control them. You said it one time here, and we've talked about it before, but that's the the function of that in training where you can go, like, I think it's a a case there where you then have to, your cognitive mind has to then go, no, I am being influenced by this, the dopamine jackpot cycle. Mm. I choose to break it rather than just like getting caught up and caught up and spooling up in it. And it really is outside your control. Then you
2: biologically. Oh, yes. No. Yeah. There is a section in the brain; it's like a part of the cerebral cortex, and I can't remember the actual name. I should remember it, but I need to re-listen to that part. But yeah, it's the part of the brain that determines grit. Yeah, where yeah, where but you, that's it, right? Yeah. So where
1: you then go shit, and yeah. and that's why being educated on this stuff to, to the point where you can identify it in yourself because yeah. we see it in dogs and we go, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, look, look at it. We we watch a dog spooling up after yep. a series of commands, we go, look at him, we're surging the dopamine, and then you need to be also out of like. And I guess this is the function of losing ego is step away from yourself and then go, fuck, I'm doing the same thing to myself unknowingly Mm. and choose to break the cycle of it, right? Like, okay, I'm cutting myself off from that dopamine.
2: I guess that's why, and this is probably a long shot as well, I guess this is why Socrates and great philosophers who are patient people and who are quite wise in their assessment of human nature – it was Socrates who stated, know thyself, mm. you know, and that's one thing that I try and remind people a lot of the time as well is it's one thing to know thyself. But when you're dealing with another species, you have to know that species as well. You know, and I often say to people when we're coaching is know thy dog. Don't just go through the motions, understand what you're dealing with, because all of this matters. You know, this is where we, we the foundation starts slipping away from us because we're in tune with ourselves or if we're in tune with ourselves and we're not with a dog, we're out of sync. Yeah,
0: yeah. and um, I'm always finding it so fascinating because we in psychology, I know a lot about behaviour, but we frame it very differently than the dog industry does. So, for instance, for me, I think it's also really important to know what type of internal dialogue that does that person have in that moment when they choose to ignore to be patient. Mm -hmm. So that could be, you know… Something around the self worth or something about proving yourself, or in the past, that you have people go like, Oh, you know, doctoring is not something good, that's not viable, there's no income. So there, there's pressure, So uh, societal pressure, usually in some form or way. And I do know that in therapy, most of the time, people have an internal dialogue. And we're going to talk that in a second about that, that this influences them to keep going. So it's not just dopamine, there's also. A framework around it very often mm-hmm. and that's what we work a lot with with clients because that's what you they had accuse cues usually why you keep going so unless you really classically can condition that's your way out because you can hear you can train yourself to monitor those internal stories and buttons coming up mm-hmm. so they're kind of like the story before does that make sense yeah i think so so it's, and i can give you an example so for instance when when I trained my dog for her complex skill in NDTF, I knew the reason why I was very often impatient is because I was worried about failing the course.
1: Mm-hmm. You had a timeline.
0: I had a timeline. I had a lot of pressure already, people looking at me and going, Why do you waste your time dealing with dogs? Like, why do you not specialize in neuropsychology or something else? Like, there was already this stigma around it, mm-hmm. which empathized that failing story in my head. So, therefore, I was wanting to rush it which is not the greatest thing to do at all. And I made a lot of mistakes. Like I got there in the end and I was very proud of my dog and myself. We learned a lot. But the, the reason, the, the driver behind this was very much just thoughts or head around it and a story. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it's also really interesting that we have different types of patients so, there is a um, psychologist called Sarah Schneidke or Schnittke. I don't know how to say her name, Sarah. I'm really sorry. So, I go both ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much you say it. Schnittke, you're the
1: You're the German speaker in the room.
0: I don't think she's German. Anyway, Sarah. <laughs> 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 and it comes in three main varieties and it is interpersonal patients, life hardship patients, and daily hassles patients. Okay. And I like them a lot because I think they're very applicable to the dog industry. Mm-hmm. There are more complex models out there, but this one is very practical. Um, let's start with interpersonal patience. Um, interpersonal patience is patience with other people, their demands, and their failings. I think that's very applicable to dog trainers teaching dog owners mm-hmm. or dog trainers teaching other dog trainers. And I think that's very often what people really struggle with. That's really, really grinds them down. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, a lot of people, f- Get impatient when they consider other people as slow learners. I think that drives people a lot of the time crazy. Or to have habits or that you feel like they make the matter worse with their dog or they don't put any effort into it. Like I think those interpersonal relationships can be really stressful to people. That very often makes them lose their patience.
2: I think mm-hmm. that one, that the last one you mentioned was is one that – in the industry, I think that's one that drives a lot of people crazy is when they see that people have the potential to do it but don't. Mm-hmm. Like they they are very flippant about uh, your guidance and what they actually achieve with their own dog. It drives people crazy. Like when you can see talent but no effort has gone into it, Yeah, you know, that, that really that grinds is. people's – it it does, yeah. That's, that's where I see a lot of people really – that's where people need you, Bertie, because when they're exposed to that over a long period of time, that really – grinds them down, it starts wearing them down because they're just thinking, is it, is it me or is it you? And then they go into a bit of a bit of a doubt and they flatten out over those uh, type of scenarios.
0: Yeah, and um, here we're going to talk about that in a second because it's so hard to watch sometimes that you can't remove the free will from a person. You give them the best option to improve their own situation, but we don't have a lead that we can control them all the time, no. right? With mm. a dog, we have so much control. People have to own free will. Yeah, and you have to accept at that at the end of the day, you do your best, or you do an okay job, and they still have free will, mm-hmm. and you're not attached to that, right?
2: Well, what's the saying that most people generate now is that you should never care more than the client does. Yeah, so
0: I did. I said that a lot. Sorry, I said that a lot to my people because I'm like, you can only be as invested as they're wanting to. Yeah, that's that's the, the, that's the you saying. You should never them. be
2: invested in the in the training of the dog than the client is. Otherwise, you're you're uh, setting yourself up to fail.
0: Yeah, and look, I've been guilty of doing that many times because sometimes it's also about giving giving people hope. Yeah, mm. and and showing them, hey, I stick with you. Like, I see this, we can do this. Mm. But you have to be aware of what you're doing. Like, it, this has to be a choice in your behavior. It just can't be on autopilot. This is where you have to have the patience to activate your wise mind and go, like, am I using this giving hope as a tool, or am I just doing this because that's my initial reaction very different things one is strategically planted the other one is just you following your reaction
1: yeah i think i find it helpful in that sort of circumstance to when you talk about being more invested in the dog like i find it helpful to think about where i am a bad client to people and and calm myself down in that way yeah you know like i am i'm fairly into health and fitness And I ignore a lot of the health and fitness advice that I get from people who are much healthier and fitter than me. And I know it to be true. And I just can't be fucked. I like eating burgers, you know? (laughs) And so the same way when I say to people, hey, you've got to do this for your dog. And they're like, I can't be fucked. And like for us as dog people, we rant and we call them terrible clients and we complain. But that's just, they're just the same as me when my physio tells me I need to do a particular thing, you need to do this every day and I do it three times a week instead of every day. i'm the I'm the loser in that. he It, it doesn't affect him in the same way we say to people like, "Hey, if your dog doesn't get any better, that doesn't affect my life. Mm. You're doing this to yourself. Well, we as dog people see that as like no problem. we can identify that, but you are that bad client to someone else,
0: guaranteed. hundred yeah, percent. Right? Like I am very sure. That AI drove my own dog trainer crazy. Like she told me I'm a very difficult client. I'm very aware of that. And also, I think that we have to understand that people have their own journey. Mm -hmm. You don't change people's lives. They change their own lives.
2: Yeah. I feel that the best bit of advice I'm giving a lot of my students now when they're talking to me about these things in class, when they're sharing this frustration, I just said, just forgive them. Just forgive them and move on because you'll just carry it around and it's the ball and chain you really don't need to be shackled to because you don't know what they're internally going through or what is externally affecting or internally affecting them in their own life. So they're probably doing the best they know and that's their limitation. So give them them everything they can take and if they choose not to, if they actually choose not to do it, forgive them and move on. I think it helps give you a little peace in your life. Yeah, it it helps me it's my it's my best advice to me so i suggest it to other people to to maybe make their life a little bit more comfortable rather than overburden yourself with it
0: definitely because when you when you look at impatience in the context of interpersonal patience you need empathy to survive it because it's actually an active patience you need mm. it's not a patience where where you don't do anything about it it's no you need to know your strategy around it. you need to know what to look for what to activate mm-hmm. right and we The main thing with patients is you don't want to worsen your situation. You want to stay cool, calm, and collected Mm -hmm. so that you don't go into your cortisol and adrenaline, that you don't just rush through it, that you can go like, I can see what's happening. And slowing down is most of the time the thing that's needed. So is empathy. A lot of people in the dog industry, they cull people when they're like, oh, that's a bad person, a bad dog owner. You label them. You don't know what's happening in their life right there and then, right? So you need to have empathy, and you need to go like, well, maybe you had a bad week, a bad day. And I have a lot of respect for dog trainers because they very often don't get the opportunity to have so much rapport with their dog owners than I get to have. Mm-hmm. But you need to learn that as well. The dog owner will only tell you what's happening if they feel like they can trust you, and you're not judging them. Mm. It has. You have to be fairly neutral, I think. Yeah. Um. So interpersonal patience has to be mindfully active, that you know how to do it, how to forgive someone, how to be compassionate, how to have empathy, but not burn yourself out. You need boundaries and assertiveness at the same time, but you need to be able to have self-awareness and you need to know what pops up for you so that you implement the right strategy.
1: Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm with you.
0: So the other type of patience is life hardship patience. A nice term for this would be perseverance. Mm-hmm. You know, like you get knocked over in life and you just get up you you have to go through a really yucky process in something like a court hearing or a medical procedure or a diagnosis or, or a life change and you just know this will be a long slog you just have to get up every morning and make it happen without getting bitter without you know suffering too much
2: there's a good japanese proverb on this i believe it's a japanese proverb but it says fall down 7 times stand up
0: 8 yes it was a very prob- a very like tattoo when I went to school like I think I know three people <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I think about it a lot when I'm feeling sorry for myself and things if I've had a bad chain event of life things going wrong I often I think about that in my head like I chant it to myself because I think it, this can't go on forever you know like I'm feeling at rock bottom now but you know I'm experiencing such a low that there's bound to be a high coming soon so I I constantly think about this self. I'm falling down a few times. You know, I've just got to be ready to stand up on that eighth attempt. And that, that sometimes gets me through bad bad days.
0: Yeah, totally. And mm. I think it is really good to have practiced that, and, but also recognizing that this is what you're doing. Yep. And there is this a skill, you know, like compassion for others and yourself that helps you because we don't want you to suppress your emotions in that. Like, you know, like if I have someone who just lost someone to tragic circumstances, I'm not going to tell them you can't be sad. You need to grieve, you need to process this, but there is a difference in grieving and amping yourself up into a state of too much. You know, we can help ourselves heal and we can do other things that prevent us to heal. And the idea is that if you can have gratitude in your life, if you can have compassion in your life to yourself and others, you probably have enough petrol in your tank to see it through.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: On the topic of, say, like life hardship, I guess it's a – I'm trying to I'm thinking pretty hard about drawing the distinction between like the effects of like being patient but also then seeing that hardship as as a call to action, right? And That's
0: the wisdom part again, right?
1: Yeah. And you know, understanding but you know, think about it from again from because we know that most people listening sort of know the terms that hardship is a form of negative reinforcement like and, and let it compel you to action like take take the steps necessary to to relieve the pressure in one way or another when that life hardship comes on then i suppose where i'm kind of spooling up in my head about this now is understanding when you're not in control of it, right? And that's where the patience part comes in.
0: So there is a difference between doing active behaviors and emotionally surrendering and using radical acceptance to the circumstance to the situation. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if you have a chronic pain issue, I'd encourage you heavily to do everything you can to better your physical position with any type of therapy you can get your hands on. Mm-hmm. But mentally, you have to settle into this might be taking a while. Yeah. So you have to use radical acceptance in going like, hey, this state might not change. I should not change my behaviors in trying to better my situation, but you might be in discomfort for a while. So how can you still have valuable a valuable life and how can you have fun and enjoyment in those little criterias maybe that you maybe have to learn to readjust to do differently? But the idea is that you don't look for that quick fix. I think when you look for that quick fix, mm-hmm. That's where you, when people in hardship very often look for the next fix, but that's not how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually gives them false, a false sense of, um, like their perception is unrealistic. Yeah. Like if I say to you, you, need chemotherapy, we know you will have a couple of really rough weeks ahead, and if you go like, oh, this vitamin C tablet will make me feel better, this will make me no, even meditation won't feel great at <laughs> those yeah, days. Yeah. So it's. You have to dis- differentiate between behavior and mental mindset. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. That that's, and I think that's the virtue there is being able to identify which which one you can. Yes. Which one's going to serve you, patience or action?
0: Yes. But for example, in my case, when I had my chronic illness, I was always more like just toughen it up, just work through it, mm. and it worked totally against me because I was overshooting my resources. So, mm. so it depends how you were also programmed as a human. I was programmed to never give up, always keep going. Yeah. Um, but they can work against you in some circumstances. Yeah. Like, like Remy, you know, Remy is used genetically, very prone to, I never give up. And now he has a scar on his nose as a puppy because he's like, fuck this crate. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that's <laughs> it. And, but, but I think the, the hard part there is is identifying, yeah, I, when should you be patient and when should you keep pushing? And because I, I see a lot of people who, like, oh, you know, this is my plight and everything happens for a reason. And I go, yeah, the reason is, You make bad decisions and then you don't fix your fucking problems. You know what I mean? And identifying. I don't
0: think it's that simple.
1: No, but like that's what I'm saying. Like identifying when it is that simple Ah. versus like, okay, fuck, like I really have been dealt a bad hand here and I just have to deal with it versus like, oh, I need to take some action and fix the shitty situation I've put myself in.
0: I think generally speaking, even if people have given a really hard card to deal with that they had nothing to do with as soon as you can be in charge how you want to tackle it and you sit down and you make that time to go, like, what do I need for my needs to be met? Even if that's not perfect, you can aim for that. Mm-hmm. That gives people a great sense of I have control over this. Yep. Like, if you if you tell people who have a chronic illness and they have to go – for a really long time, the hospital will be like, what do you want your treatment plan to look like? What is important to you? Mm-hmm. What What are your needs? Is it that you are being hurt with the doctor? Even if you know there is nothing they can do, but it's really important for you to touch base with someone, then let's do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So everyone's different. Everyone has different needs. Some people want to be left alone. Some people need a lot of company. It's You need to know yourself. So the overall goal in life is to strengthen that really advice part in you mm-hmm. and you know, that old bull, he gets better and better and better. That's the idea.
1: Yeah. And what are the techniques for that though? Well, uh,
0: there's one more type of patience and it reminds me of the layered stress model. It's called daily hassles. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many stresses, especially in certain times in your life where you just have tiny, tiny little things that build up. They're beyond your control. Traffic, not finding a car park spot. Um, school ramping up, your kids have more activities. just like you notice know, the slow grind is increasing yep. and very often people snap with those tiny things. They keep it together for the big events, but, for example, if someone in driving comes in into their lane without blinking, they lose it. Mm. That's also a sign of The
2: life. straw. Yeah. The straw, straw that broke the camel's back.
0: Yeah. So they are different types. And th- what I want to show you now is, to me, self-awareness is the biggest advantage you can have to identify how you really are. And self-awareness is actually not easy to do because it's quite a complex topic. But I was reading a book a couple of months ago and I think um, Mandy from Maine has also read it because we talked briefly about it and it's called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Mm-hmm.
2: And you have it with you. I do. Not that the listeners can see you're holding it, but you've got it in your lap.
0: Yeah, with my scribbly notes. I treat yep. my books poorly. Yeah, I write too. in them. I but I, that's not, I don't them. think
2: that's treating a book poorly. <laughs> I think that's really investing in a book. You know, like when you fold pages and write notes in the spine and stuff like that, I, I don't think that's treating a book badly. I think that's that you're actually becoming a part of the book.
0: Yeah, I used them as a tool and I use a tool. But it's your book, right? Yeah, but sometimes I have to remember like, oh, this is Pat's book. Oh. <laughs> don't write in it.
1: <laughs> um, that's <laughs> all right. I do the same. When I was at school, I don't know how true this story is, but it's what they told us. You know, how do you say, Shang Tzu, The Art of War? Yeah. Uh, Shang Tzu, yeah. Yeah, when they – Found his personal library. It was full of hundreds of copies of his own book. And they were like, oh, how's the ego on this bloke? And they opened them and they were other people's copies of his book where they had annotated and sent it to him and Mm. with feedback. And he had annotated back and sent back to them. And they'd had these like conversations within the the text. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that was how they were trying to convince us all to annotate the shit out of the book. So, like, the author wants you to do this. Like, it's because the book is a, for most authors, consider their own work a conversation. And that's how you have the conversation with them. Yeah. Um, annotate really cool. in it. And if you can be bothered, like you could imagine if you were an author and someone actually sent back a copy of your own book full of annotations that were, you know, I I agree with you on this or have you considered this or whatever. Like most people might like to get that. Well, certainly according to the story, uh, Sun Tzu did.
0: I yeah. love it. And you can have a meeting of minds. Yeah. Really I think cool. you should
2: read a book with a highlighter.
0: Yeah. I take what's there.
2: It's like I say, with most things, if you search through the mud, sometimes you might find a few pearls. So, you know, like I've read books where I've just thought, "Oh, this is going nowhere, going nowhere." And it's like many things in life. And suddenly, you'll reach a a chapter or a passage or a paragraph, and you'll think, "Holy shit, that's you know life changing." Just that that little bit of information that that will change my training technique, my my lifestyle could be anything. But yeah, read a book with a highlighter.
0: Yeah, and no, to me, I have to write it out so I remember because I'm I remember better. I'm not good listening. Yep, I write it out very often. But the reason why I like this book and it made me very curious about it. Say the it. name
1: again because otherwise yes. people are going to ask us a hundred times. And if you, if anyone messages asking the name of this book, what was that book again? Listen
2: to this. She is about to say the name of the book. And if it's not in the Canine Paradigm Book Club, it will be soon.
0: Yes, I will put a quote up. The book is called The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself by Michael A. Singer. Thank you. And the book... I like it a lot because it challenged me in a lot of ideas and perceptions and concepts I had. So it was a really nice take on it. And um, in therapy, we very often talk about the observing self, that instance in you that can observe what's actually happening in you. And he has a really nice paragraph to frame this, and I'm going to read it out to you. Larry Crone, if you're listening, this is what we talked about at the conference. You said you wanted me to read something.
2: Here we go. All right, let me sit back. This is your meditation track, Larry.
0: Oh, well, let's see. (laughs) Okay, so this is from page 16 if anyone wants to look it up themselves. And this chapter will talk about the roommate inside you, that instance that can observe what's happening in you. So Michael says, To attain true inner freedom, you must be able to objectively watch your problems instead of being lost in them. No solution can possibly exist while you're lost in the energy of a problem. Everyone knows you can't deal well with the situation if you're getting anxious, scared, or angry about it. The first problem you have to deal with is your own reaction. You will not be able to solve anything outside until you own how the situation affects you on the inside. Problems are generally not what they appear to be. When you get clear enough, you will realize that the real problem is that there is something inside of you that can have a problem with almost anything. The first step is to deal with that part of you. This involves a change from outer solution consciousness to inner solution consciousness. You have to break the habit of thinking that the solution to your problems is to rearrange things outside. The only permanent solution to your problems is to go inside and let go of the part of you that seems to have so many problems with reality. Once you do that, you will be clear enough to deal with what's left. There really is a way to let go of the part of you that sees everything as a problem. It may seem impossible, but it's not. There is a part of your being that can actually abstract from your own melodrama. You can watch yourself be jealous or angry. You don't have to think about it or analyse it. You can just be aware of it. Who is it that sees all this, who notices the changes going on inside when a friend tells you, Every time I talk to Tom, it gets me so upset. How do you know it gets you upset? You know that it gets you upset because you're in there and you see what's going on in there. There's a separation between you and the anger or the jealousy. You are the ones who are in there noticing these things. Once you take the seat of consciousness, you can get rid of these personal disturbances. You start by watching. Just be aware that you are aware of what is going on in there. It's easy. What you'll notice is that you're watching a human being's personality with all its strengths and weaknesses. It's as though there's somebody in there with you. You might actually say you have a roommate. If you would like to meet your roommate, just try to sit inside yourself for a while in complete solitude and silence. You have to write, it's your inner domain. But instead of finding silence, you're going to listen to incessant chatter. Why am I doing this? I have more important things to do. This is a waste of time. There's nobody in here but me. What's this all about? Right on cue, there's your roommate. You may have a clear intention to be quiet inside, but your roommate won't cooperate. And it's not just when you try to be quiet, it has something to say about everything you look at. Ooh, I like this. Nah, I don't like it. This is good. That's bad. It just talks and talks. You don't generally notice because you don't step back from it. You're so close that you don't realize that you're actually hypnotized into listening to it. Basically, you're not alone in there. There are two distinct aspects of your inner being. The first is you, the awareness, the witness, the center of your willful intentions. And the other is that which you watch. The problem is the part that you watch never shuts up. If you could get rid of that part, even for a moment, the peace and serenity would be the nicest vocation you've ever had. Mm. So the idea is that we always have a story going on in our head. Like we filter through life with stories, examples, experiences. And most of the time an outer voice has become an inner voice. So if we could just approach difficult clients or dog owners or scenarios or anything with this awareness that, hey, there's a story happening in my life, and I just have to watch it. I don't have to act on it. You will be much closer to accessing your wisdom part. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with all that a hundred percent. I in have not that I teach anything like this, but I, I experience it myself. I use different language in that uh, I've. You should never be surprised by your own actions. Is what I sort of try and live by and try and understand your own motivations for things and analyze why you do things. I think for sure everybody can benefit from that and the flow onto that to training dogs and in life is, is huge.
0: It's massive because I think most of the time we do things in an unhelpful manner. When we caught up in something, we actually yeah. forget what we call in the pack model of values. Why are you here? You want to be most of the time a good friend with your dog. Like you want to be a good partner. Well then act like one and listen to why the, the stories in your mind, not let you be a good friend in that scenario.
3: Yeah.
1: And I think something that I've tried to do in my life and, and I'm getting better at is at first you have to analyze your actions um, and understand why you did something. And then that analysis should try and move further and further left on the timeline to be analyze your intentions. And then you, you have, mean like
0: the five whys method? Uh, like you I'm ask why? Why, why, why till you break it down?
1: I'm not familiar with that, but I like what I mean is like, okay, I've had all these experiences in my life and be true with yourself about how did I react to that, right? Like what really happened um, because it has happened and you can analyze it. And then your, your goal is to move that analysis further left on the timeline, like further back, further back, further back so that you can analyze your intentions rather than having to, right now you can only analyze your, your, your actions of the past. Mm. But then you want to get to the point where before you act, you can go, why am I doing this? Is this helpful? Can I intervene before it's too late? And then you might say, yeah, fuck it. Like I'm doing it. This is my intention. Or you might take a step back and go, hmm, uh, why am I doing this? And and for me, this is, I learned that kind of stuff, not uh, in regards to your own consciousness or whatever, but like as a planning tool for action, um, like from my army days of military planning and, and understanding like what are the second and third order effects. And you can't do that. By looking into the future, until you've done it many, many times, looking into the past, where you can say, We did something and this is what happened. The, and it's like, you know, the old, like, no history because history repeats itself, all that kind of crap, right? So it's like, okay, this happened and I was at a time in my life where I wasn't in, as in control of myself, or maybe I was and I chose it, whatever, but it happened. And now I can see what were the second and third order effects? Yeah. What did I put <laughs> into motion? right? And now that I know that when I see that coming, I can hopefully get my analysis happening prior to my behavior and go, okay, do I really want to go through this? And, and, and understanding your emotional state. And, and, and again, this 100% applies to dogs, like understanding what is likely to happen here and how can I intervene in a way that, that, that serves this emotion? Like, because a lot of the time, emotional reactions are, are quite the
2: opposite of what you want in the long term. I'm smiling and kind of laughing, thinking about this (laughs) because there's been times where Pat and I have sat down to do a podcast or even been in the kitchen pre or post podcast. And, you know, I'll, (laughs) I'll say to Pat, check out this. And Pat will go, you know, like I'll rage over something that somebody's done and Pat will go, uh, well, there's actually like a deeper story to this. Like if you look further into it, There's a reason why they did it. And like, I'm just, (laughs) I'm being impatient at this point in time and I'm just seeing the the version that I wanted to see. We've had this conversation a couple of times now and it's been a good education portal for me myself because I've now learned to uh, adopt that a little bit more, like look further into it, like look at the the second and third order of things. And I thought, well, maybe I should look deeper into it rather than just be so impulsive and, and see the part of the story that I want to react to. So yeah, that was actually a good little life lesson. Yeah. You know, I'm trying not to talk too much about army stuff because it's not that
1: relatable to people on this show and stuff. But the truth is, I think that most people who have sort of been in that world, especially where I was, is you learn to know yourself because you need to know how you're going to react and, and, What happens is you find yourself in situations for the first time, unthinkable situations. You cannot hypothesize. And what will happen will happen. But then afterwards, you have to then go, okay, what happened? And how did I react? And how did I feel about this? And am I likely to be able to do that again? And then you're good for when it does happen because you know. And whether your reaction is good or bad is indifferent. That doesn't matter. Like if you, if your intention, my whole life I thought I was going to be the guy that goes forward and then you find out in the moment that you're the guy that goes backwards, that's fine as long as you don't keep pretending that you're the guy that goes forward, right? Like you'll act the way that you act. And it's the same with like – I'm trying to keep this related to dogs. It's the same with the dogs. You don't know what they're going to do until they do it. But then when they're done, you go, okay, like now we know what's really bubbling away under here and we can manage that. And, you know, we have, I've had people with say in working dog world, that are like, oh, this dog's no good because he doesn't engage. And I'm like, well, you don't have another dog to replace him with. So like, it's fine. You can work the streets with a dog that won't engage because you, you know, he won't. Just don't for one second think that he will, mm. right? Until we can get a dog that will. But use his dog senses. If he finds bad guys, that's good enough. You're carrying a gun, right? But it's a big problem if you think he's going to engage and he doesn't. It's no problem if you're aware that he's not going to, and you take the steps to mitigate that. And I think then, like applying that to everything in in yourself is understanding. Okay, like I feel a particular way. Be that roommate in in his language and going. Why am I feeling like this? But what steps can I then take to make sure that this has a positive outcome for me in the situation rather than just like necessarily leaning into that feeling and co- having it cause the action? Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and I think there's a, a caveat. I think very often when people are having a hint of how they wanted to react but they didn't react, they're really easy to blame or to to project their anger yeah and i think that's not the way to go the idea is always like you contributed whether that is just by reacting how can you change your behavior you can only control your own behavior and your own state right but in a dog industry we often blame people oh that dog owner didn't do that so therefore i had the whole past for being angry that's not it Mm. that's not your job you if a dog would show you reactivity you would go like it's a dog that's why it does. You wouldn't yeah. go like, oh my God, that was personally directed at me. You would learn from it. You would mm. learn, look at the behavior. Yeah. And most of the time is if you have felt a certain way, you have felt this way in a different situation, the same way. So I can very often have people in therapy and they, I'm like, what were your triggers this week? And they go like, oh, it was this. And they're like, I don't understand. I overreacted. My, my behavior was way out of proportion to that trigger, to that stimulus but then we do certain exercises, and then it comes back. Like, when have you felt like this before? And it comes back to a significant part in their life where their needs haven't been met. And it can be tight, like needs that are not easy to detect in the moment. They don't have to be super extreme situations. Can be small situations. But if you have been going through this over and over, this is how you are programmed to react.
1: Yeah, we we constantly talk about it here. And God, you can find it if we've done over a hundred episodes, we must say it in at least twenty five of them why does a dog do anything is to better their own situation Mm. and minute by minute, second by second, they're just trying to make their life better. But with dogs, it literally is second by second. They're just trying to make their life better. And as people, I think that we have, we have to separate ourselves from your, because we're the same. We're just trying to make our own better, our own situation. And I think part of patience is looking at the long game of bettering your situation and, and understanding, okay, well perhaps I need to, take a what what feels like I'm not bettering my situation for the short term in order to better my situation for the long term. And I think we have the capacity to do that. We, yeah, we should. We
0: have more tools than dogs. And I think, you know, impatience usually stems from a frustration which means your needs haven't been met or you haven't been heard. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we just briefly tell people what the symptoms of impatience are just so that they can behaviorally look for it. Mm-hmm. Physical symptoms are that you know that your breath is changing, you maybe be breathing fast or shallow, that you tense like jaw tension, eye tension, neck tension, shoulder tension, um, that you're jiggling your feet like um, hypermotor agitation, like you're restless, you're fidgety, mm-hmm. or that your tone of voice changes, you snap or you shut down, like you know yourself better. But they had the very brief ideas of how you show that you're impatient. In the long run, if you keep doing this and ignoring it, you probably. Do you're not doing well mentally like you can have a long-term Im- impact and you might lose your resilience but it's really important that you know hey if i amp up if i become faster and faster why do you do this it's called i learned this term this week it's called hurry sickness have you heard of this
1: hurry sickness yeah
0: hurry sickness i've never heard of it yeah. it's a term different-
1: that was hurry spelt Hurry, like H-U-R-R-Y, like I want hurry. H-U-R-R-Y.
2: Right, hurry. Hurry, Hurry, yeah, Yeah. hurry.
0: I've never heard of it, and it makes so much sense. The term was coined by the cardiologists Maya Freeman and Ray Rosenman, and it means that they noticed that many of their patients suffered from a harrying sense of time urgency, and so they defined hurry sickness as a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Mm. Can you see that some people who should take a break, they just fill their diary up and they actually do more and they put more things on their That's <laughs> 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 just looking at that. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah.
0: So people with hurry sickness, they think fast, they talk fast, and they act fast, and they really resist to slow down. They multitask and they rush against the clock, feeling pressure to do get things done and getting flust- flustered by any sign of problem. So I thought that's really interesting. I've yeah. done that in the past.
2: Yeah, for yeah sure. I can identify with quite a few people over that.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, you know, the idea is that if you want to learn how to be more patient, if you train your dog a downstay, Man, be fair to your dog and you do a down to too, whatever that looks like for you. whether that is, you do some meditation, some breathing, and you go for a walk. But you, if you do that to your dog, I'm telling you, most dogs don't like enjoying doing this. You owe it to your dog that you work on your patience too. Mm. I think that's fair.
2: Yeah, very. I think
1: on the topic of meditation, we spoke about it on the weekend. And like, I'm so far from a, an expert in meditation. It's unbelievable. Like I barely scratched the surface of the whole thing. But I know that that the idea and the practice scares a lot of people away, but I also am critically aware that I think there's so many different ways to do it that people are, and they don't understand and, 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 and it's just the concentration on anything. And this is like martial arts, for example, is meditation. Like when you're, this is why jujitsu is such a, a cult because when you are like uh, rolling with someone, you are in that moment meditating because you are trying to put out the unhelpful information and concentrate on information that is helpful to you. And you will get feedback that you're doing that if, if you do it well. And if you do it poorly, you'll get feedback. Mm. Right. And I think that anybody that's been involved in the pursuit of anything that is like requires a deep level of concentration has gotten the benefits of meditation from that. And you see people get caught up in, sort of seemingly trivial sort of tasks, like people who are painting, you know, assembling figurines and painting them meticulously is a form of meditation for them because they're blocking out everything else in the world and and concentrating on that one thing. It's their isolation for a period of time. And whether the the term, I could see you scrunching your face, whether the term (laughs) meditation is correct or not, but I think it's so important to have the the practice, the ability of uh, refusing to acknowledge, well, not refusing to acknowledge, Uh, Focused
0: attention. Yeah,
1: focused attention. So understanding that there is a distraction, choosing to ignore it and carrying on with a task. No matter what that fucking task is, is a form of meditation and is super helpful to everybody. And I think it's why people have hobbies and shit like that.
0: Look, I don't want to get into the definition of meditation because I'm not an expert on it. But I know that the meditation community probably would define it into more layers and different things. Yeah. But the idea is definitely, I think, for in regards to patience, I definitely think that if you learn to be in discomfort, and it doesn't have to be long discomfort. Like for me, that sometimes just means I'm sitting ten minutes outside and I don't have a jumper on, or I have a mosquito or a fly coming around. And I just try not to put my face, uh, change my posture. That's enough. It's yeah. just learning not to react to life, and it's just learning to go like, oh, the mosquito is biting me. I want to swap it. Just try to resist for five seconds. Just hold back. And over time, you become better and better at noticing what your body is suggesting to you to do. And then you can get get to have a choice what you want to do. So it's not that I'm like, oh my God, I want to be stung by 200 mosquitoes a day. It's just for me to train, have options, have choices, and not just be an an autopilot.
1: Yeah. Have check-ins. Yeah. I just feel like everybody benefits from a closed environment where the consequences of distraction are low. So that when the consequences of distraction are high, you've you've rehearsed it somewhere else.
0: You have to like the the key thing is that you practice for something that maybe happens in your life. Whether that is you had a, you know, a difficult day and you come home and instead of your husband brunting it, you go like, I'm quite agitated. I maybe just have a shower before I sit down for dinner. Yeah, that's a choice, but you have to have a check in to realize that first.
1: Yeah, but and and in the roles of again, with like from my history is is the role of meditation is not to meditate when things go bad, but to use the skills that came of that when things are going bad. So you go, okay, like there is a task that needs to be complete, and when you're when you're alone and you're doing yourself, it's the focus on whatever you've chosen. I'm focusing on my breathing, but now it's like, okay, there's a mission it needs to be accomplished, and there are distractors because things go wrong on that mission and there that's one thing that you know is outside your control but when you're focusing on your breathing and someone closes the door in the adjacent room and you notice that and practice i heard that i'm coming back to the original task of focusing on my breathing that skill set is what carries over to like okay there's a real task that i have to complete and there are people who are actively trying to stop me completing that mission i need to avoid them stay away from that problem and stay on my initial task
0: yeah Yeah.
1: And, and that's the like tied it back to dogs that's the box that's how i like show a dog that so it's like no one gives a shit like it, when the world's falling apart it doesn't matter if you can meditate it's the meditation that will help you in that point and with the box it's like when your dog is fear he it, it sees its problem trigger it's not going to go looking for the box it's going to go like okay i can i can put get through this shit i've done it before i've, I've seen this picture somewhere else that's similar I, something that approximated i can use it now
0: yeah definitely and i think it's also something that has to be reactivated every now and then. like yeah. I have to I have to remind myself to meditate every now and then. And most people are like, "Oh, Bertie, you like it? I'm like, no. It's hard. It's hard work. It's it's an act of discipline.
2: It can be boring sometimes.
0: Uh, boredom is my crux. I'm I, I, I I'm known for surfing through different meditation channels just so I'm not bored, and that's beside the point, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> so,
2: so here's a plug for something that I don't get any monetary gain for, but I've used and it's helped me, because I've done traditional meditation. My first martial arts teacher, he taught me how to do it. It's hard. It's an extreme discipline to sit in a room and quiet your mind and blank everything out, that takes a lot of discipline. And unfortunately it's not discipline that I have the luxury of affording myself all the time, but the Muse headband, the one that I've talked about on this show before that Sarah Wysom has been um, working on, I believe she's still doing quite well with it. But this is a device where when your mind starts to activate and your brain waves start to pick up, it reminds you that you're going into that zone. Like you can hear rain or thunder and lightning coming over the top of you. But when you're starting to still your mind, you can hear calm serenity and birds chirping. And the idea is the more birds that you can hear during the meditation process, the better you're doing. So I thought it was woo-woo and bullshit when I first got it. However, within a, the spate of five weeks, I could go almost a whole session just hearing birds. And it gives you, it shows you your brainwave patterns at the end of it. Um, now, I was just focusing on that point on getting because it awards you, so you get actual awards for don't mean boom. Yeah, that's right. You get you don't mean from it, but the the thing is, is um the secondary implementation of it was that I was much calmer. Yeah, I started to realise I was more focused. I was less fatigued. I wasn't reacting to things as impatiently or as. Violently is not violently. That's not the right cho- choice of words. But just impulsively. Impulsively, yeah. Impulsively is a better choice. But patiently. Yeah. So the the whole thing was as I was learning to be more centered, and I was making better and informed choices, and didn't realize it. So as a secondary effect of what I was doing, I realized, hey, this is actually really centering me. It's actually working. So there's something to it.
0: There definitely is. And if if you go like, oh, I don't want to do meditation. Just take three deep breaths before you react. Yeah. Just, just. Well, that's break why I say down. count to ten, right? Yeah. T- count to ten. Take three deep breaths. If you only have three minutes, you can do the four, seven, eight breathing methods for three minutes that calms you down. But what my call to action is, please, if you teach your dog a down stay, it's only fair that you can hold the down stay as long as your dog.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: Because you know, in the end, we want that the dog benefits from it too, right?
2: Yeah. I've seen it written many times, and I agree with it personally. Is never make a an important decision when you're happy or sad.
0: That's deep. I have to. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see anger. I've heard it with anger. Don't make important decisions when you're angry. Yeah, heard that one.
2: Well, I I kind of reflect on it in many different ways because when you're feeling your best, you can be very agreeable, and then uh, later when you sort of centre out or, or you know balance out a little bit, you can thinking, oh, you know, I sort of got hijacked on that while i was feeling quite elated and in a high state of a, arousal same thing when you're feeling sad like you you know if you make or angry when you make a decision then i mean some of the worst decisions i've ever made was when i was feeling angry and most people do and that's where deep regret comes into it where people where you say to them why did you do that and i said because i was fucking pissed off and that's why i did it you know that's why i left my job or left my partner or said this terrible thing to a close friend or something like that so yeah something i reflect on this is how it relates in
1: that when you play shaping games with people i feel like that's really important less for the practical skills of the person doing the shaping i don't think the person on the clicker really gets that much out of it i think that the person that gets the most out of it is the person that's pretending to be the dog in the shaping games right because it shows you the difficulty of trying to understand something when you're being taught it non-verbally yep. and patience as a, is so useful in training because you need patience with your dog and you need to understand the the issues that your dog is going through. So when people play those shaping games, they always set really stupid criteria. Like there'll be a pair of sunglasses on a table and they have to, you know, shape the person to come into the room and put the sunglasses on the table. That's not helpful what it should be is something totally counterintuitive. Like it should be pick a chair up and hold it over your head because you have the framework of, like, okay, sunglasses go on my face, mm-hmm. right? And then we're teaching a dog to heal and we're like, why don't you understand what healing is? Well, he has no framework under which to think like, this is what you might be teaching me. You have to go from little scratch, okay? Yeah. So when you're playing those games, the point is the frustration that you feel is for you to understand like that's actually what your dog is feeling. And then you have to use this patience that comes of all the techniques that we're using in training to go, all right, well- Let's break this down to its finest component and help the dog out. That's a technique. But what comes of the patience is going, okay, like, hey, man, I get that I'm trying to convince you of something that is totally counterintuitive to you, Mm. and I'm only able to do that using tiny little increments of reinforcement to get you along the path to understanding ultimately what I have just decided for whatever reason I'm going to teach you. I think that's where the patience comes in, and that's where people get they try and influence the dog too much in a way that isn't helpful, whether they use too much pressure or they, um, you know, try and compel the dog in a way that the dog isn't ready for uh, because they lose patience. And that's where I think the patience in our industry and in the actual day to day use of it really is going to shine for people. Mm-hmm. That's what I think.
0: Mm. Yep. I think patience is important. I think if you if you identify that patience is a skill for your toolkit as a trainer or as a dog owner, and you make it a thing, you pay attention to it, you will only benefit.
1: Other than meditation, what techniques?
0: Drop your anchor.
1: Yeah. I Pull think your pants down and get your dick out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm dropping my anchor right now. <laughs> there's a story to this. <laughs> <laughs> dropping it again.
2: <laughs> yeah. So centering yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Under Birdie's chair, there's about four anchors lying on the ground. There <laughs> got about
0: two hundred right now. Um, that or uh, Headspace is a good app. Um, I think the biggest thing is that you do a check in before you touch your dog. Yeah. Because if you if you see training as a way to increase your dopamine, and some people get really desperate when they're stressed, they're like, "Oh, I just want to train my dog. I had a shitty day. I just want to do that." That's not fair to your dog because mm-hmm. you probably would benefit from a calm off period first just to, to know, hey, maybe I'm overshooting my criteria, maybe my timing is off, maybe my consistency markers is off. Just that you go, like, where am I at? And you have to consider that part of the training. It's not just about the dog. It's also about you influencing the dog.
3: Mm,
1: good advice.
0: Well, I was attending a really cool seminar on the weekend that people –
3: that
1: talked a
0: lot about consistency in all those things. And everyone's like, oh my God, we do have the capability to fuck our dog really up.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
1: And most people, I think just confuse their dog. I think there's so much of that. Like if, if only as you said, if you could interview the dog, like if you, if only you could have the dog actually say like, this is what I understand for you to be, you conveying to me and you go, oh, actually I meant this. And the dog will be like, well, that was unclear to me. Right. And it's have the patience to break it down to its smallest components. Well, so well that's that the dog it. gets
2: it. That's it, right? Because we're we're fundamentally asking the dog to understand our way of life. Like it already well and truly understands its way of life. Like and this is the argument that I keep having time and time again with people all the time. When people point out to me, Oh, my dog is badly behaved, I said, It's not. It just it's behaving the only way it knows how to do. Yeah. You it's know It's bettering your situation. Correct. That's it. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Well, I think if people have been patient enough to stick with us, we might wrap it up there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's always such an honour and pleasure. Thank you.
2: Thank you for coming on. It's interesting to have a, a real meditation expert. Really? No,
0: I'm not an expert. Well, but- <laughs> I just I try, I try to meditate, but I'm not an expert.
2: Well, you're an you're a meditation enthusiast. Yes, yeah. that's it. Mm. Talk about it with two dickheads with microphones. Yep.
0: <laughs> no, that's not it. I know that both of you have meditated. You have proof for that.
1: That's true. Uh, But I think, yeah, developing that away from the dog and then using that skill, that's kind of what I was trying to explain before, probably not very well, is like, don't try and use those, don't try and do those two things at once. Like, develop the skill away from the dog and then use the skill on the dog.
0: Yeah, definitely, because otherwise you have emotional contagion and you're impatient, will transfer. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Understand it and then apply it. Yeah. All right. Hey, Bertie, thanks for coming on. Yeah. It's always a pleasure. Love having you. It's always a pleasure for us. always welcome. Thanks for having me. Yep. You, help you Just pick up your anchors on the way out, thank you.
0: Yeah, just pat put your pants on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if people have just started listening,
1: they'll have no idea what that is. Yeah, if you Better, skip to the end, like yeah. you've got to the punchline. <laughs> if you like that girl that didn't like our personal jokes and then ran away out of the, um, <laughs> the conversation. our uh, discussion group. How funny yeah. was that? What was that? In the last episode, we were talking about that girl that I put in the group because she she was in a, she was in like a real fur baby mummy uh, Facebook. Oh group. yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then said, like, I was asking for advice on a burrito and was getting spanked by everyone. So I was like, hey, go into this group. Uh, you can ask any dog training advice you want there. Yep. And she was like, no, I'm done. Got just straight out of the group and yep. went back to the other group and asked for some fur baby mummy pictures. Yep. I was like, oh God. Anyway.
0: But the fur baby brand that you recommend is really awesome.
1: Yeah, actually, yeah, that's that's the funny thing, right? It's such a <laughs> we say that, but Karen from episode fifty four, she's got that fur baby aromatherapy, mm-hmm. and it's actually really good. My dog loves it. It's legit. He, it, I obviously I'm supporting her, but I sprayed that. I wish that I'd filmed it because I thought oh she sent me a bunch of it to to um, you know test out see if I did like it. And I sprayed it on the dog and then he went crazy rolling around on it and was like, loves the smell of it. And in the video that I, I put up, I, I made it look like it puts him to sleep, but what he actually did was start rolling around all over it. Like he's like, I love this smell. I'm going to smell like this forever. <laughs> so so it's actually really good stuff for baby aromatherapy. Check it out. Cool. they got a website. Um, yeah. It's that for baby aromatherapy If you. Google That'll come up. Yep. All Thank
3: right. you guys. Have a good day.
1: That's it. For another episode of the Canine Paradigm, as always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you an extra episode, 10 bucks a and a but you know, you could always give more money if you like. And you could get a T-shirt from Teespring. That's a good idea too. Mm-hmm. Support
2: us through that way. You can wrap love- some cool merch.
0: The hood is amazing. Yeah,
2: I'm wearing it right now. I've got the, the I've got the T-shirt and the hoodie on. Narelle's wearing hers. Today You're repping as well. all over. The I'm wrapping all over the place. Yeah. yeah. We've and got, got our stickers. stickers. Yeah, we're just giving those we're, away. Yeah, just we're throwing leaving. them at people, sticking on their car when they come
1: to seminars yeah. and they don't yeah.
2: even know it's there.
1: Yeah, I'll bring a bunch of those with me to Vegas where I am next week, or whenever. I don't know when this comes out. Maybe I'm already there. But get in touch with Michael Carpenter if it's not. And if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is via email. So us an email to info at thecanineparadigm.com. That's it. Glenn, music.